My name is Carrie Ginger, and I am your host of Know Better, Live Best. My guest today is the founder of Gold Mountain Coffee Growers. Ben Weiner talks about how he ended up in Nicaragua, got started with coffee production, and the social impact that he has had there. Ben understands the importance of traceability, hard work, sustainability, and quality processing. Listen in to find out why it's important to know where your coffee comes from, and you just might end up with a new appreciation for your morning cup, just like I did. Know Better Live Best is dedicated to supporting food and health literacy in people of all ages. Our mission is to cut through the misinformation surrounding food, health, and nutrition because we believe that when people know better, they can make the right choices and live their best lives. We are presented by Biteable Foods. They use blockchain and Internet of Things technology to build traceable, transparent food systems because it shouldn't take an investigative journalist to find out where food comes from. Hello, I am here with Ben Weiner of Gold Mountain Coffee Growers. Hi, Ben. How are you? Good. How are you, Carrie? Good. I'm pretty excited about today. I've already had a podcast about coffee, and this is my second, and I'm excited to learn more. So let's just start off with how did you get started with Gold Mountain Coffee Growers? I did my thesis research in Nicaragua many years ago in 2002, and I did a lot of research on the economy of Nicaragua, which runs in a big way on coffee and coffee production. So I interviewed um, producers, I interviewed pickers, middlemen, exporters, importers, people in the central bank at all different levels of the economy. And I found that there was this huge um, bottleneck and there were all these obstacles for farmers. And um, I was crazy enough eventually to buy a coffee farm and joined a fair trade co-op, which was unfortunately at least partly dysfunctional because farmers came to me and said, hey, we can't support our families. Can you help connect us directly with roasters? So that was how Gold Mountain Coffee Growers was born. And our farm in Nicaragua is Finca Idealista. That's amazing. It's starting with a thesis. Yeah. So how did you pick Nicaragua? I mean, that could have been anywhere. Um, I wanted to work on research, doing research in a country where I thought there could be a very big impact. Okay. And Nicaragua, the time I think was um, either behind or tied with Bolivia as second poorest in the hemisphere after Haiti. And so I thought, well, if you're going to research how to improve conditions in a country, this is one where uh, a few changes, even if they're, whether they be, um, you know, policies or just through business to go a really long way at helping people and empowering people. Oh, that's amazing. That's a really big why behind your company. It wasn't just you were an avid coffee drinker. No, <laughs> it, it started. <laughs> no, right. It, yeah, exactly. No, it started with improving um, conditions for people and the environment. And coffee was a way to get there. That's, that's fabulous. So I do want to dig into that a little more later, but first what's kind of just a day in your life like? A day in the life. Well, day in the life of Ben. It depends on what country I happen to be in. If it's in Nicaragua, we wake up extremely early. Um, A day on our farm, most people start waking up around four four thirty in the morning, getting ready for their day, making breakfast, and actual work on our farm, if it's not the picking season, starts at 6 a.m. And I'm either on our farm or visiting producers in Nicaragua and on different mountains. So if it's on our farm, we might be weeding with machetes or we might be trimming coffee trees or we might be um, making sure that we have just the perfect level of shade over our coffee, walking around seeing how all that's going. Um, if it's visiting coffee farmers or bouncing around the top of the mountains, there might be a roaster visiting us. And so we're visiting all different coffee farmers. On another day, it might mean cupping, which is like wine tasting, but um, tasting the quality of anywhere from 50 to 100 different cups of coffee, each representing a different farmer variety day of picking Um, down to the parcel of land, we have an incredible focus on traceability. So it's, uh, it's quite a busy life, but it's always interesting. There might be other times 
when I'm going and meeting with roasters in the US or in Europe or elsewhere. Um, lately, I've been lucky enough to judge some competitions, the Golden Bean Roasting Competition in Portland, Oregon, uh, the North America one, or um, the Shot in the Dark competition put on by the Coffee Magazine and the Specialty Coffee Exchange and Genio Roasters in Durban, South Africa, which was really cool because the U.S. Barista Champion of 2016, Lynn Butler, and I got to judge our honey process roasted by a whole bunch of different roasters, and we got to say who did the best job. <laughs> you so are extremely well-traveled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite a busy life. So the cupping, I just heard about the cupping. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. But like mm -hmm. I said, I don't know much about coffee. And yeah. Brian told me about his thoughts when he was able to um, participate in that. Mm -hmm. How does that go for you? I just imagine tasting, and I know it's a sip, but tasting mm -hmm. all of these different types of coffee, I feel like you lose track after a while. I'm sure not. Like I said, I yeah. don't have that taste. But what are your sure. thoughts on that? Um, well, just to, you mentioned um, Brian Gum and um, Ross Street Roasting. So I just want to give a little shout out. Um, I know that he was in your previous podcast. Yeah. And um, he and his wife, Erin, and their daughter, Lauren, all came down to Nicaragua and did a lot of cupping with us. And they discovered um, that they wanted to get a certain coffee that they used to win a medal in the Golden Bean competition. And they came and cupped with us and they saw just how rigorous it is. Yeah. Um, so cupping means we take um, a bunch of coffee and we put it in a mug. This is not the exact mug, but a mug more or less this size. And we grind up, some people do um, 11.5 all the way up to 13 grams in, a, um, in water at a specific um, grind size. It's supposed to be more or less the consistency of table salt. We pour in water that's just off of a boil. After four minutes, we take a spoon called a cupping spoon and we, all the coffee is now floated to the top. We push the coffee aside and we smell it. And that's called the aroma. Um, and actually, before you do it, the dry fragrance, then you do the, what I'm describing now, the wet aroma. And then after, I like to wait all, all as far as 12 minutes. Some people start earlier, but then you clean off the grinds and you start tasting the coffee. And so we do that all the way from hot through cooling because coffee changes over time. If you've ever gotten a really great cup of coffee in store, um, or even not such a great cup of coffee, you may have noticed that the flavor might change from when it's mm -hmm. hot to when it cools. Sometimes it might improve or it might get worse. So we do this equivalent of wine tasting, but for coffee cupping um, of every, like I said, every day, every producer, um, they often separate it out by variety, but we keep, keep every single lot separate and we don't mix them together. Um, until the end, we might put them together by producer or a producer who has different varieties. We might take their days that they picked, for example, the Katoi variety and put three days of picking together. And that's, for example, um, Don Santos's yellow Katoi. There's an example oh. of a, a micro lot. Um, these are green yeah, hold that up. <laughs> coffee beans. So that's under plastic, but right. So you can get the idea. Wow. Um, and so we want to taste everything. And if any one day's picking doesn't taste perfect, which I know goes um, along the, the themes of this podcast of you mm -hmm. know, the traceability of food, right. then we'll pull it out. And we won't put that in with these specialty coffees that go to roasters. We'll sell it locally if it's not up to snuff on quality. Oh, that makes complete sense. Because I'm thinking about, it's a whole new appreciation for mm -hmm. coffee, actually, when yeah. I'm just sitting there maybe at 2 p.m. when my yeah. kids go to specials and I just send for myself yeah. a cup of coffee. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, Let's see if I have a cupping spoon. Oh, this is what a cupping, this is my favorite cupping spoon for those of you who are watching on video. And I love it because I almost never spill with this one. No, that's like it a mini It really bowl. holds the yeah. coffee well. And you, you slurp, it would seem rude, but you go, because when you slurp the coffee into your mouth, and I think I understand that uh, wine tasters do something similar, sommeliers do something similar. It aerates the coffee in your mouth and the coffee becoming more of a gas um, lets it be connected to your nasal passages. So your sense of smell with your olfactory sense which is connected in the back of your um, throat here is also, you know, tied into your sense of taste. And so you have a much more complete overall experience. And if there's a defect, that's what we're looking for origin. We're going to taste it. 
Um, if there's something very positive, we're going to taste it. We can really get a better understanding of, of what's going on when we, when we cup it. Oh, those specialty coffees are worth it then. The ones you, I mean, really, just yeah. talking back to Brian Gum when mm-hmm. I was learning about that, it's like, it's worth the money to me because there are times I'm drinking coffee and I'm just kind of drinking it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I really just want the caffeine. This taste is, yeah. I'd rather enjoy it more. Yeah. Really? And, yeah, and I've become uh, what's called a Q-grader, which is similar to a sommelier for wine tasting. And what that means is I had to pass all of these very rigorous tests where they mix all these different solutions and different intensities um, into water. And then they put defects in coffee and I, they put different coffees on the table and I had to say which one was different and all of these very stressful actually, right. uh, tests to show that you really know how to cup coffee. But some of the best practices, what we do at origin tasting literally 70 to a hundred in a day, there's almost nothing that can compare to that kind of tasting. There are some roasters in the U S who do some similarly rigorous tasting of every single day that they roast coffee. Well, it sounds like quite the experience. And like I said, I just want to bring up Brian Gum one more time since we're talking sure. about him. Cause mm-hmm. I think the idea of your relationship is fascinating. So how yeah. did you meet? They're a wonderful family. Yeah. I think it was, it was either through another roaster suggesting him or social media. I don't quite remember how we first right. got in touch, but, um, I just can't say enough positive things about Ross Street Roasting. They, they came to visit us. They were so nice. They, had, they were so um, affable and, and friendly with all the different farmers, with the staff on our farm as well. Um, they've been so supportive. They, they get wonderful coffees, and they really treat it the way that specialty coffee should mm-hmm. be treated, like a fine wine. And um, I think that they learned a lot when they visited us, and we also learned a lot from them. We cupped coffees with farmers. So it was, it was really a, a great visit. Well, he had a ton of nice things to say about you as well. So when both Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we love it when roasters in general visit. So any other coffee roasters who are listening, you're all welcome to come visit our farm partner producers in Nicaragua. I think it gives you a new appreciation for what yeah. both sides do. And you yeah. can really understand the coffee more. I yeah. mean, in my opinion, I would think that's what it would do. Yeah. And actually to that point, if there's any roaster who's listening, who wants to come to Nicaragua or barista for that matter, or even just a tourist, uh, if you go on goldmountaincoffeegrowers.com, then you can just go to the contact section and get in touch with us. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Um, check out the website anyway, because that was really neat as I was Thanks. on there, the pictures and just the information in general. Thank so you. I kind of want to go back to harvest just a little yeah. bit. So I live in Iowa, so mm-hmm. I'm used to like corn and beans and those um, types of crops around here. Mm-hmm. Is harvest similar at all? Are you aware of harvest with like corn and beans or? We've had a tiny corn harvest just for ourselves and our workers, um, but we haven't, we don't do the mass level of corn and (laughs) soybean production that happens um, in the U.S. I don't know if you guys get the baby corn, but we have these corns where you get a baby corn on the top of the stalk and a bigger corn on the bottom. Um, We have this, I don't know if it's an heirloom variety that we have, but it's it's interesting. And um, if any Iowa farmers come visit us, they compare and contrast, but um, the coffee harvest, I, I think it's even more complicated because it involves fermenting and washing. I could get into that if you'd like. Yeah, do a little bit because I was reading about that. I, I did print it out, so I keep looking over there. Sure. Um, what did I see on there? You know, I'm going to let you talk and then I'll bring it okay. up. Okay, sure, sure. Um, so going way back in the process, coffee starts from a seed and it grows on something that is, it is a tree. We just don't let it get to be the size of an enormous tree. Sure. It takes about four years before we get a really significant harvest. After the third year, we might get a little tiny harvest, but it takes about four. And then really in the fifth year is a very strong year of production um, for the coffee to be producing strongly. So if you're a farmer and you've just started planting coffee, you have no income from that coffee for at least three, but more like four or five years. See, that's what I was envisioning right there. (laughs) You're fertilizing, you're weeding, you're either doing it with your family or hiring some workers to help you depending on your size and Mm -hmm. the size of your family as well. It's a whole lot of work. Then finally the harvest comes. You think, oh great, I have my coffee. But no, you have a lot of, still a long road ahead of you and miles to go before you sleep. So on our farm, here's the process. We pick the coffee. In our case, we put every, every um, picker 
has a little, um, they have a basket and then they have another tiny little bag that hangs off the side of the basket and any cherry that doesn't look absolutely perfect and coffee cherries that grow on trees, um, look like this. Mm -hmm. These are very ripe coffee cherries for those of you who are watching the video. Um, but it looks basically just like a cherry, uh, growing on a tree. So we pick those and anything that's not perfect goes in that little bag, but then we do a second level of revision and we lay it out on a tarp and we pick out anything that's not perfectly, perfectly ripe. Um, in our case, again, for those of you who are watching, we use this ripeness bracelet and we hold it up to the coffee cherries to make sure that it's the same color. And we also use refractometers. Mm -hmm. For those of you watching, you can see this one. For those of you who aren't, you can just Google refractometer and wine vineyards. You'll probably be more likely to see it. Or you can look on our website and see what we use. But this measures the sugar content of the cherries. So we squeeze the juice from the cherries out here. We take a representative sample of a bunch of cherries, mm -hmm. um, put it here, close this, and then we look through it. And when you look through it, I don't know if... Uh, you can see it through there. Maybe that's a struggle, but oh, I almost got it. But, oh, yeah, you've got to see it. That's well, awesome. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do through the um, compute, computer there, but oh, there it is. You got it. And there's a reading, and that's called a BRICS reading, which is measuring the sugar contents of the cherries. So after that, if it's washed coffee, we bring the coffee down to the farm, we put it through a machine that strips off the outside of the cherry. And then there's still this honey-like substance called mucilage that's still around each bean that's inside the cherry because the, the bean is the pit, basically, the seed inside the cherry. Um, and to get that mucilage off, we have to ferment the coffee because otherwise it's not viscous and watered and won't come off. Mm -hmm. So we ferment the coffee in basically what looks like a tank or a, a tiled, picture a tiled bathtub, but a, a big one. And then after anywhere between 16 or 18 and about 36, maybe all the way up to 48 hours, depending on the temperature outside, we wash it in a washing channel. And then that mucilage comes off. Then we dry it on raised drying beds in the sun <laughs> after rushing it down the mountain to where it's drier and hotter. Um, and after about two weeks of drying, then we store it. It's quite, quite the process. It it's is. still not done at that point. Um, it needs to be stored for about a month in what's called the parchment phase, which for those of you watching is, um, this, you can see that through the test tube here. Um, mm -hmm. there's a paper like layer still around each bean. Um, and it gets stored in that state in a bag so that moisture, if one bean is a little bit more moist than another, it equalizes between all of them okay. over the course of a month or two. Finally, we hull it, we put it through a, a huller. And we get it to look like this, but we do all kinds of sorting with, um, we can use light sensors, we use density sorters, uh, women working very hard at conveyor belts to pick out the imperfections. We do all of these things to make it the cleanest coffee that you've basically ever seen so that it's worthy of competitions in our case. And then it looks this clean. And this says empaque, this is literally the coffee when we packed it up, it was this clean. That is no, de no defects. And I'm probably forgetting some steps. So that's... Uh, right, but yeah. Paul, that's way more than I knew. That's unreal. It's yeah. very tedious. Very, very tedious. I, and then it has to get all, shipped all the way to a roaster who roasts it and then either brews it for the public or gives it you know, to cafes who brew it for the public. So it's quite an involved <laughs> process. Um, not, not so simple. No, appreciate that cup of coffee that you yeah. hold in your hand. <laughs> yeah, you, you should really, it's worth much more than what you get charged for it, I promise. Oh, I guarantee, I guarantee, mm -hmm. especially in a, a really good cup. It's just almost calming, yep. right? And it feels like it, you, mm -hmm. it gets you through your day, even if it yep. doesn't, it might just be the mindset of yeah. coffee <laughs> yeah. does this for me and I yep. need it. Yep. So, gosh, Harvest, what is... The you were talking a lot about because I even go back to how you actually sure. get the coffee um, from the farm to the consumer, which you did touch on. Mm -hmm. But what was what which country did you find the most interesting to go to? Um, oh, so that important detail. So our farm is in Nicaragua. Yeah, and so most of what we do is in Nicaragua with small farmers and medium-sized farmers in Nicaragua, and we work with farmers who are at the highest altitude, who have the best varieties. And very importantly, who are willing to put in the hard work to make sure that the coffee comes out extremely clean, picked perfectly ripe, 
grown very well over the course of a year or several years to get up to production level. Um, so Nicaragua is definitely the favorite country. I love, no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that. Cause I think mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. I already brought this up. Yeah. I was on your website. I'm looking mm-hmm. at the pictures and they're mm-hmm. just, they're gorgeous. Yeah. So I do some consulting work in other countries, but our main production is in Nicaragua. I'm so glad you ended up there because, and we're going to get into this in a bit, but you've done so much for Nicaragua and we're going to definitely get into that pretty soon because I'm fascinated by that. So anything else we need to know about how the coffee gets from the farm to to the consumer, whether it's through your direct trade or anything else that needs to happen or. Oh, there's, uh, I don't know if you want to get into it later about um, the amount of work that um, other farmers do or if you want me to get into that now, but it's, um, it's a very challenging crop to harvest, no question. Yeah, do it now. Okay, sure. So, um, I don't know if it was when Brian was there or another roaster um, and uh, visited, but I like to ask not just the male head of household, but the female head of household, um, a farming family in Nicaragua, what time do you start your day? What, what's your day like? And the answer is quite incredible and Usually it's kind of an emotional moment when we hear just how hard people work to produce your cup of coffee that you consume in the U.S. or wherever it mm-hmm. might be in the world. Um, where our coffee goes to Europe, to Asia, to um, the Middle East. Um, so, for example, there's um, a couple named Ronald and Noelia. We said, what time do you start your day, Noelia? She said, Empiezo mi día a las dos y media. I start my day at 2.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the morning, she wakes up, and that's when she starts lighting the fire and making the tortillas and getting breakfast ready for the pickers. They don't even, they're a very small farm. They don't even have that many pickers, but she starts her day at 2.30 in the morning getting everything ready, preparing the baskets, making sure you know, she manages um, a bunch of the tools and making sure that everything's ready. Then she gets into you know, making breakfast for the rest of the family. Um, so... Her day starts at 2.30. You might think that Ronald, you know, we, um, we give a lot of credit to women. You might think that Ronald is a slacker. He's not. He's been sleeping in the coffee all night long what? to prevent thieves from stealing it. Literally, he'll put on a raincoat and sleep in the middle of the coffee and hang out there right in the middle so that if he hears anything when he, you know, wakes up from time to time there, he can stop any thieves from stealing it. And also if people see that he does that, they're going to think twice about stealing coffee off of his um, trees and Noelia's trees, but and rather go to another farm. Oh my goodness. He sleeps so, in the coffee. I mean, that's, that's their livelihood, but it's when also it's, something they yeah. put all of their, you know, hard work into every, you know, mm-hmm. their whole life is yep. are those coffee beans. And when you go to other farms, it's not a very dissimilar answer that we get and that roasters get. It's usually... Some start at 2.30 in the morning, some start at 3, 3.30. It's, it's very common for days to start that early. The latest slacker, you know, quote, slacker, slacker. end quote, and I say that kind of in jest, right. um, I don't think would start, you know, would wake up any later, later than 4.30 in the morning. Oh, my goodness. If I wake up at 4.30, you know, I'm, I'm a slacker. Yeah, well, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. It's because I just woke up and I look at my phone and realize it's 4.30. And I can't yeah, <laughs> time to go back to bed. And we all need right. our coffee to wake up more like 6, 7 or, you know, who knows what time in um, the U.S. or Europe or, el- or elsewhere. But farmers, they wake up quite early. Right. And you always think of farmers as just hard workers and just, mm-hmm. you know, putting themselves to the grind. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Like I said, but I don't know much about coffee, but even that, I don't think most people would know the, you know, yep. the, the things they have to do to make sure they have those beans and yep. how the whole entire family, it's, mm-hmm. it's not just his job. It's not just her job. They're a family mm-hmm. working together. Yep. The livelihood. That's a great. Story. And with the community, usually the pickers are from the community or not too far away. Wow. You know, with that, I mean, you see all of these hardworking people and it's easy to see why you want to give back and help mm-hmm. out. How does Gold Mountain Coffee Growers, how do you help the community of Nicaragua? Um, we exist to help communities in Nicaragua. So when we first got our farm, like I said, um, or for anyone who's just tuning in, 
farmers came to us and said, can you help connect us more directly with markets? Cause mm-hmm. we're not getting paid enough. So, um, if farmers are willing to put in a huge amount of work, you know, with refractometers and with ripeness bracelets and all the different tools that we use and the rigorous, um, quality control that we, um, basically require to be able to work with us, then they're going to get better prices. So those better prices help out farmers economically, but that's not the only part of it. Another part of it is making sure that farmers have access to credit. So when farmers have coffee, that's literally just a flower on the tree and hasn't even become a coffee cherry, let alone have a bean inside of it yet. We're all already giving them access to funds that they would have a very hard time getting or would often have to mm-hmm. get from loan sharks. Um, then we do also do free computing classes for girls from coffee communities. Um, and the gums at Ross street roasting were very, um, generous to be able to help and, and they helped support us with those classes, um, along with a few other roasters. Um, so thank you to all roasters who have supported that kind of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, we've put running water in schools. We put small libraries in schools. We helped, um, a girl get an operation so she could walk for the first time. We give some technical assistance to farmers. We, since we have our own farm, we really understand what farmers go through. And we don't just throw a project at farmers, but rather we make sure that we know what they really need. And we, um, it might be um, some support with fertilizer or whatever else it might be at the time. Um, and we make sure that whatever support we give is something that's really needed and not just a handout that's useless. Right. But the biggest part, actually, I, I guess it's important to um, highlight is really it's the farmers themselves putting in hard work, hard work in their families and their communities to produce excellent, high cupping, excellent quality coffee. That's, you know, competition level, even if a roaster is not entering in the competition, it's something that is literally that good um, so that they, through their hard work, can get a better price for their coffee, access to credit and all the benefits that come from working with us, but through their own um, hard work and ingenuity and, and drive. And that helps them advance and improve their standards of living. So it's not a, a charity based on handouts. It's a social enterprise based on really people being entrepreneurs. They're farming entrepreneurs doing a right. better job with quality than other people. And we, we just help guide them on that path. Right. And it's just the amazing work ethic. They're putting in the hard work. And then here right. you are saying, you know, exactly. we appreciate you. We see what you're doing. Here's what yep. we can do to help you. Exactly. It's just amazing the impact that you're having Thank you. on Nicaragua. So we, I commend you. I think it's always great when you can help out someone that you should. That doesn't always happen. But you're doing that and you're, um, you're aware of all their hard work they're putting in. And you're saying thanks in the way that you know how. Thank you. It's challenging, so. but we're, we're doing it and um, it's working. Great. Well, that's amazing. And like I said, I can only imagine how they feel about you. So thanks for that. It's nice to help out everyone. So I would like to hear a little bit more. I'm going to switch gears pretty much completely and hear more sure. about your sustainable practices. Sure. Um, so we won, in addition to winning medals for quality, these golden bean medals, that actually roasters win them. We don't win them, but roasters who use our coffees um, win these awards. Uh, we ourselves won the Sustainability Award. It was called the Excellence Award for Sustainability from the Specialty Coffee Association of Europe. And that was in 2016. Um, and we're, we're still doing that. what we did to win that award and more. Um, some of the things that we do are we bought a rainforest just to protect it. And it's home to endangered three-toed sloths and toucans and howler monkeys and all kinds of wildlife and flora and fauna. Uh, in addition to that, we have these volcanic filters that we built that were pretty complicated to build. And we filter the water that's used to wash coffee after we use it to wash coffee. So it starts out as really clean um, mountain spring water and it's used to wash the coffee. And then it has a high acidity from the mucilage that's on the coffee. We wash that off and it goes, it zigzags through these volcanic filters that we built um, from one to the other to the other, and then it goes into an oxidation area where bacteria eat up anything that's left in it. Um, and we never, we don't dump it right back into streams. And eventually, um, once it's been cleaned, it filters back through the earth, which filters it even more. Um, so those are some of the efforts. We also use a mushroom, believe it or not. Um, this is pretty cool. So 
the mushroom is grown and we get it on rice and we filter it through the rice and we take that water and we put it into a backpack the tank and then we spray the mushroom in water on the coffee leaves on the tree on the trees and the leaves um um and ha- well actually the the cherries have um sometimes this insect that's called coffee borer beetle and so this mushroom will attack the coffee borer beetle um that's at the base of the leaves on the um, branches and it's a natural way for us to take care of coffee borer beetle um rather than insecticide um another thing that we do if you look on our instagram account which is gold mtn coffee um you can see a bunch of weeks back or a bunch of posts back we use machetes instead of herbicides to control weeds so you can see us literally going through with a machete and controlling weeds it's much easier to use an herbicide but it's horrible for the environment right. to um, be doing that so it's a much more natural way um and these natural methods also allow us to then bring bees onto the farm that thrive and are happy um and so those bees we um someone brings them in during the flowering season and that helps increase our yield so and then the rainforest itself um is a water source for bees and so the bees are happy and then it improves our yield the rainforest acts as a natural air conditioner for our coffee and coffee grows better when it's cooler because it has a longer time to develop and absorb sugars which makes it naturally sweeter and better tasting um so those are just some of the environmental efforts there there are more there are cultural practices of if you just simply pick up the coffee cherries that have fallen onto the ground that's going to mean that less insects will come to attack the coffee um there, there are a million different things that we that we do for sustainability but th- those are some of the key ones I mean, you're speaking my language. You have me at natural. <laughs> I, I, I love it. It just, it just seems, I guess the word is like clean. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can trust it. You yep. aren't afraid. You're, you feel good mm-hmm. giving that to um, your direct trade partners and people yep. drinking the coffee. It's, you would not send out something that you yourself would not drink. Right. And that is so incredibly important to me because it's a new language of mine the past like year yeah. or so, but it's still so important. Right. And I can't get enough of that. So yeah. thanks. Thanks for I that. Brew, I brew our coffee every morning and happy to do it. And I'm less worried than with, um, than with just any random coffee without traceability. Right. And I can tell you just had a smile on your face. So if you're watching, <laughs> you just had a smile <laughs> that you can brew that and you feel good about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Okay. So with, oh, I almost, I lost my train of thought there because I was just, like I said, this is, no traceability is so important to me. And mm-hmm. when I hear about the natural ways that you're going, it's, I wish, and I think we'll get there. I think it's something that is important and we'll get there in all areas. Mm-hmm. But you kind of breezed over, you bought a rainforest. <laughs> that's yep, we did. <laughs> so I bought a rainforest because that's a pretty natural thing. I went and bought a new pair of shoes. <laughs> yep. So some people buy shoes. Up. We buy you buy a rainforest. For the price of some people's shoes, we bought a rainforest. You bought a rainforest. <laughs> yeah. How did that come about? Um, so there is unfortunately a lot of deforestation in the world in many coffee origins, okay. um, and one um, downside of farming in general is that sometimes it means deforestation. So we saw that there was some deforestation happening around our farm. And so instead of deforesting, we did the opposite. We bought a rainforest that we were afraid was going to be deforested just to protect it. And we now have two security guards who literally go in shifts, um, 12 hours and 12 hours so that we have patrols all the time so that there isn't deforestation in that rainforest. And, um, it's just very important to us because that rainforest literally protects the temperature of the mountainside. You can feel a cool breeze. It's really a natural air conditioner coming out of that rainforest and cooling the coffee. We don't grow coffee. Just, I don't want to get anyone confused. I don't mean that it shades the coffee, which is growing underneath it. We don't plant any coffee in the rainforest. We don't touch um, the rainforest. It's just for nature. Um, But the coffee's next to it. And so a nice cool breeze comes out of it and mm-hmm. kind of bathes the coffee with that cool breeze. So you need guards for that. So even though you own it, 
that's yeah. still a possibility. Unfortunately, yeah. That's that's awful. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. see, I think sometimes and I know myself and I'm sure others just, mm-hmm. you know, being naive to what's really happening out there. I think you get just so used to what's going on in your life and yep. the whole world out there. And right. It's, it's We're awful. up in the mountains and there's, uh, you know, it, it's just someone could chop down a tree when no one's looking. So we instead we have people patrolling to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. And just like that farmer who had, you know, feels the need and I'm sure he does need to sleep, yep. you know, with his, with his coffee beans. Yep. During wow. the harvest. Yeah. This is very eye opening for me. And you can just see sure. your big heart shining through this. So that, <laughs> that, that, that just makes a great company. You can't fake that. You Thank cannot you. fake um, your personality and just your drive for wanting to That's help great. out. So what's one thing you wish all consumers knew about coffee? Like me, someone Ooh. who now knows a little more. I know a little bit more now. But there are about 2,000 things that I wish consumers knew about coffee. Yeah. Um, I wish that consumers knew just how much work goes into coffee. Mm-hmm. Um even the commercial level coffee, but the specialty coffee that um, wins these medals is just, uh, it's uh, an exorbitant amount of work from growing it for years without any income because it's not harvested yet to um, harvesting and post-harvest processing both on farms and the amount of work that we do drying it and making sure that it's dry evenly checking the moisture with expensive moisture meters all the time, pulling it off the drying beds at the exact right moment, the amount of sorting, the work that um, the women at the conveyor belts do. And you might say, why women? It's women are the only ones who really volunteer for that job uh, in Nicaragua. Um, They have the patience for it. Um, Just the amount of work by all those people. And then even our staff, we, we literally drive to the port with the trucks to make sure that nothing bad happens with the traceability um, of the coffee, just that amount of work. And then the amount of work by roasters who are doing what's called dialing in a roast. Some of them will do several roasts or, or more before they feel like the coffee is at the right place to be serving it to the public. Um, in the morning, the baristas, they, you might not realize it, but if you're getting an espresso, a latte, cappuccino, they do what's called dialing in and they, they pull one espresso shot Um, and then they might adjust the grind size so that it pulls a little bit longer, um, to get a little bit more sweetness out or to tone down or up the acidity, um, to get more flavor out of it. There are so many that they can change the pressure that's coming through the espresso machine, the temperature of the water, they filter the water. There are so many things that go into this, um, industry. It's absolutely incredible. And yeah, I wish that more people knew about it, but, um, enthusiasts are welcome to come and visit us and learn about it firsthand in Nicaragua. So maybe have a little more patience when you're waiting in line for your coffee. (laughs) Yeah, definitely have patience because it's been a many years long journey for that cup of coffee to get to you. Right. From starting to grow the tree until you get it. So this, this question I think I know the answer from you because the environment is so important to you and that's shown through today. But is there a way that coffee production can negatively impact the environment at all? Or does that really depend on the farm or the country? Would you like me to say something completely transgressive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or kind of shocking. The world would probably be a better place. Maybe I should whisper this. If there, wa- if there was no coffee because there's so much deforestation that happens, unfortunately, to increase coffee production. Um, Unfortunately, that can cause global warming. And a lot of coffee farms have chopped down um, whole forests in order to expand their farms and increase their production. Something that we do is we've never chopped down a forest Mm -mm. to plant trees. We literally started out with land that either already had coffee growing on it or had beans growing on it, or uh, in one case, passion fruit. Um, but we, we've never bought forests and chopped it down. We've done the opposite. We just bought that rainforest to protect it, and we'll never right. chop it down. Um, so you can ask a lot of really hard questions. Of, I mean, for a consumer, it's hard because they would have to ask their roaster. Even if their roaster had a direct trade relationship with a farmer, 
maybe the roaster hasn't asked that question yet. So I don't know, talk to, if you're really into it, talk to your roaster and say, can I go with you to origin next time you go? And we can ask some hard questions of the farmers. Right. Um, so it's, uh, I wish that we could almost, um, have coffee farmers throughout the world take some kind of oath against more deforestation. And in our case, what we try to do is have farmers be more efficient with um, growing coffee on the same amount of land. And whether that be through fertilizing or other best practices, um, even spraying a seaweed on the leaves so that they absorb certain nutrients. There's so many things you can do to increase your production. Um, But really it's important whether it be, soybeans, palm oil production, corn, coffee, it's important that more deforestation, that deforestation stop. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy thought. And yeah. I think in order for that to change, and that's not just coffee, that's like you said, you brought up the other farms, but it's, it's more than that. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's livestock, it's mm-hmm. pollution, the air with, you know, just transportation, but you have right. to have population growth, population needing to support a growing population farm farmers have to do it yeah so how can they do it if they don't have more land well there there's been an incredible increase in the efficiency i know in the u.s of corn and soybean farming um you live out in iowa i'm sure you've seen that Mm um we need to have uh efficiency increases in coffee okay and like I said, it's um, people like you that take that on, but it's also people that need to have the why like you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the passion behind not just the coffee, but really for the world, that's what you're doing. Because you went out to Nicaragua not for coffee. Right. <laughs> I mean, you did, but you had other things you wanted to do. And I think mm-hmm. you need to have that passion for that change to come. And hopefully it will. I don't think it's one of those things, oh, I can't do it. It's just me. It's yep. you know, still keep that drive. And that's what you're doing. And other people are going to notice that. And it's important to, I think, take um, an incentive-based approach and reward farmers who are working hard and who can achieve a higher quality. And then that'll create a, um, a better incentive to be protecting the environment. And I, I think that there are also some incentives that I haven't thought of yet and others haven't thought of. There are some, we, you know, we, we give a quality reward to a producer and this producing family built a giant filter to copy what we do, um, cleaning water after it's used for washing coffee so it doesn't pollute the environment. And, you know, other farmers have increased their efficiency um, and, and their yield uh, is what I mean by efficiency in this mm-hmm. case. Um, they've also increased their efficiency with water use and we're doing that. But there are other ways. So, you know, if someone has some ideas, contact us on our website, goldmountaincoffeegrowers.com and just go to contact. Um, we'd always love to hear more ideas from, I know that there might be a lot of farmers listening um, for increasing our yield or um, making sure that we're having a positive and not a negative effect on the environment or um, in, in the absolute worst cases, at least mitigating the effect on the environment of, of farming. Mm-hmm. Well, those are great ideas and hopefully people do reach out because I know there's loads out there that feel the same way you do and maybe yeah. they feel stuck and not sure, but maybe if people can like band together and get some ideas that you start small. Yeah, and like the incentives are uh, incentives that you brought up. I think mm-hmm. are really important. Thanks. You brought up traceability so much mm-hmm. today already, and that's really important yeah. to me. And that's really important to Bitable Foods and mm-hmm. what they're doing with their technology. Mm-hmm. Tell me your thoughts on Bitable Foods and maybe how their technology could even help out um, with the coffee growing business. I've um, what I know about them is that they're focusing on traceability, so mm-hmm. that you can trace foods back to where it was grown, not just in a massive way, but even down to small amounts of food, um, which if there's ever any kind of product recall, which is much less of an issue with coffee, which is heated up to over 400 degrees for an extended period of time, (laughs) uh, anywhere from, you know, eight to 12 minutes, um, or in some cases for some of the darker coffees of the world, even more time, but, um, basically you know, there aren't that many risks with coffee, but with some other foods, say broccoli or spinach, mm-hmm. uh, lettuce, I know that there are more um, risks. And so it's important for recalls uh, to be less expensive by knowing exactly what small lot of food was the source of a problem. So it's wonderful what they're doing with traceability. Um, we're also working a lot on traceability with farming 
so that consumers and roasters can know exactly where their coffee came from and that can help improve quality. So I think that that kind of work um, that Biteable Foods is doing, that, that we're doing, um, and a few others in the, in the world are mm-hmm. doing on traceability is so important to improve quality, to improve um, what we know about the education and, and the level of information that we have about where our food comes from, mm-hmm. add more value to the food, um, fetch better prices for the people who are growing the food that we eat and, yeah. and the drinks that we drink um, so that there can be the incentives to protect the environment, produce higher quality food um, and do it in a way that is better for human health and also for the environment. Absolutely. And the co-founders of Vitable Foods, JC Ritmer and Brett Dugan, they remind me a lot of you. They have this big why behind mm-hmm. what they're doing just like you do. And you can see it when, I mean, if you look at the first podcast or watch mm-hmm. the first podcast, it just comes through in them, how important it is just, you know, for a safer environment. And it's, you know, it's yeah. to help farmers. It's to do all these things to show mm-hmm. how amazing, um, you know, food can be and let's trace it back. And it's not yeah. always going to stop recalls, but if you can pinpoint it, just that money right. saving is huge. Right, right. There can and be enormous savings. Right, mm-hmm. absolutely. And imagine the amount of waste. I mean, in a world where people are going hungry to have to throw out millions and millions of dollars or pounds of food because you couldn't pinpoint the source of a problem, that's a horrible waste. It could, if it's big enough, it could cause the cost of food to go up, which is negative for consumers. Um, and also it's safer if you can pinpoint the source of a problem. But then on the, there's also just, an overall positive side to it, you can also pinpoint when someone's doing absolutely incredible job. Mm-hmm. Let's say you get a lot of apples or peaches or coffee that tastes absolutely incredible. Um, you can, you know, pinpoint the farm that grew that and compensate them or at least give them positive recognition. Oh, absolutely. I just, I think it's amazing. I'm not yeah. um, a big technology person. I wish I was. I really mm-hmm. But it's amazing yeah. to see what people can do. I was just yeah. amazed with what you were talking about uh, with just the production of your beans and everything goes into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's not only like technology, but just a bracelet. Like, oh, your bracelet. I'm like, how neat. You really yeah. go and yeah, hold everything up to that bracelet. <laughs> There's our quality standard. And it's not just the bracelet, but we're also doing the refractometer readings. So we put the liquid right on here. Right. Uh, for anyone watching or listening, these refractometers are used for um, a few different things in agriculture. One of them is on wine vineyards. We're basically treating coffee farming like, um, you know, you would a fine wine vineyard. Right. Well, we're um, coming up to the end here, but I really, mm-hmm. I just kind of go back to your stories of how you're helping the community and just that social impact. And mm-hmm. I saw a picture on your website. I'm looking over it. I printed it mm-hmm. out because anyone's watching, but they had the children in the school. So did you get mm-hmm. a chance to meet the children? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm in Nicaragua for a really good part of the year, um, yeah. especially during harvest, but even in the off season. Um, and we've done a lot of projects with putting small libraries in schools. We put um, running water in schools. And we, we don't, like I was saying before, we don't just throw projects at schools, but um, there's actually an NGO that wanted to donate a bunch of water filters to a school where, uh, in a community where we're supporting the farmers through um, their own hard work and connecting them with markets. Um, and the NGO that wanted to donate these water filters, it was kind of the thing that that NGO had funding for at the time, but the school didn't even have running water. Mm. So there's no use in donating water filters to a school. It doesn't have any water to filter. So we donated, all, we, we knew the community. So we got the parents of the kids together and we donated all the supplies necessary to put running water in the school. And then lo and behold, the school had running water and we kind of showed some tough love. And we said, if you want more projects, you won't see them if this running water isn't working a year from now and two years from now and several years from now. Um, so the community to their credit has maintained the running water in the school and, um, that's been working. So we try to really understand what's actually going on, what the real needs in the community are, um, and support that. Um, but an even bigger part of what we do is just simply working with farmers, getting them better prices, and then they can have a higher income and, do the projects that they need on their farms. That just, that goes right to my heart. I am a teacher. I know I told you that earlier and just seeing the the children and the smiles, 
children have so much to learn, but if they, they don't have their needs taken care of, mm-hmm. teach all you want, they're not going to be ready to learn because they're going to have other worries. And so that yep. is such a big deal to me. And yep. I know all those families and those children. So again, thank you for like the 10th time because I just love sure. this podcast and hearing yeah, everything you do. And that's, like I said, absolutely amazing. Yep. So is yep. there anything else before we wrap it up that you would like the listeners out there to know that's you know important or just you know sum something up um especially for the people who are really interested in food i would invite you to check out our instagram account because you can learn so much about coffee farming and what goes on and you were saying you know what should consumers know about coffee production you can mm-hmm. learn a lot on our instagram page so it's gold, G-O-L-D, M as in Mary, T as in Tom, N as in Nancy, coffee on Instagram, also on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can learn a ton there. You can go to our website, Gold Mountain Coffee Growers. Um, if anyone knows any other roasters who might want to get involved with us, definitely you know get us in touch with them. Um, we're happy to talk to new roasters out there or ones who um, would like to connect with another origin directly. Um, and anything else I'd like to add, just that we're working really hard on our farm on new varieties. We're always experimenting. Um, we win all kinds of roasters, win all kinds of medals for, um, you know, the coffees that we help connect them with directly, whether it be our farm or, or other farmers. And um, just everyone who has a cup of coffee every morning, think about all that work that goes into it. Take five minutes to educate yourself about it by visiting our website or other websites about coffee processing. If you go to the learn section of our website, uh, it describes with photograph photographs, the different steps that we do to grow coffee and process coffee and that other farmers do. Um, and just thank you all for listening to this, educating yourselves and appreciating all that goes into your morning cup of coffee. Oh, I know I will when I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm so tired from getting up at 5.15 and just having children, I'll yep. be thinking about that family that's starting the day at 2.30 and yep. he's sleeping with his coffee beans and everything else. It's just, it puts it in perspective. I think mm-hmm. what we think is challenging sometimes and yep. they don't do it for that kind of recognition. They do it because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all learn something. This was such a feel-good podcast for me. I don't know if I was even <laughs> Thanks, expecting Carrie. that, but it's been just, I've been very relaxed with it, and I think it's just a great way to end my evening. So, Ben, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, and thanks, everyone, so much for tuning in. And um, for those of you who want to connect, we look forward to getting in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Okay, thanks, Carrie.